Welcome to All The Therapies. We're two clinicians who try out different therapeutic practices so you can find the right type of healing for you. I'm Abby Crom. I'm Mona E. Shaker. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for joining us. Let's jump in now. Hello. Hi. How's it going? Good. Great. Great to see you. (laughs) So today's a very interesting and special episode. Today we are going to talk about crisis planning. So that's not necessarily a modality or a type of therapy, but we definitely wanted to prepare folks who have experienced suicidality, suicidal ideation, thoughts of ending their lives or not wanting to be alive what that would process would look like if you were to disclose that in therapy just to prepare folks. So giving you all a content warning that we will be talking about suicidality. I will be talking a little bit about my personal experiences with that as well. Yeah. And we want to make sure that you know that there is a 24-hour national suicide prevention hotline. That number is 1-800-273-8255 and they have lines in English and Spanish. Yes. And that is 24 hours. So with that, we are going to jump into the episode and we, (laughs) there may be a bark in the background. Occasionally my partner is out of town. And so I'm on full dog watch right now. So (laughs) first we are still going to talk about what we're curious about this week. So Mona, what are you curious about this week? What am I curious about? So I told you this a second ago, but it's Monday morning, 7 a.m., and somebody decides in my neighborhood to detonate fireworks. And so I'm curious, and right, we're, we're, we're therapists, and we, we want to see the best in everyone, and we know that every act, there's a reason behind it. And I'm just, what the heck is the point? <laughs> Why would you do that at 7 in the morning on a Monday Uh, again, thinking, you know, there's a lot of families here. It's a densely populated area. There's a lot of apartment buildings. There's dogs and babies and, and we're just trying to get an extra hour of sleep. So that's what I'm curious about. The why, like what, who in that family, like, is this the teenage son? Is this the parents that just like, you know, is this just some guy that lives by himself with a bunch of fireworks that just does this? Like, Yeah. Like who is the person that just feels like, you know what? 7am gotta light them up. Yeah. Like fuck y'all. Like I need to like (laughs) make my mark on this world or something. If that is you reach out. I'm just curious what's going on in your head. There's a hotline for that. No, there's no national firework hotline. So what are you curious about this week? What am I curious about? I am curious about, I ended up watching the Naomi Osaka documentary on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, really interesting. And again, I'm not a huge tennis person. I don't follow really any sports at all. But I have kind of got now that the Olympics, you can watch just clips on YouTube. Like I don't, just being honest, I don't have the attention span for an entire like meet. But I like to see, you know, maybe the last winning seconds of something. And I was just watching a British divers that like, I guess China was going to be a clean sweep in diving. And you could tell they just lost it when they won because it was like almost a clean sweep for China. And I'm just like, they had to do synchronized diving, which means two people diving off a board, doing the exact same thing at the exact same time, these like complicated dives. I mean, I don't know how many times you would have to do that dive to like nail it for this moment, which they clearly did. 
And then I was just thinking again, so then watching the Naomi Osaka documentary and she's talked openly about her mental health. And I think it really was a good picture of like, one thing that I saw is these post interviews, you know, where they, oh, you just lost, you know, like, how did that feel? (laughs) Seconds after, right? And you just- Immediately. Yeah. Like, how do you think I feel? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, what is the purpose of that? Like, why do we need to know? What, what are we getting out of that? That like, this is even the structure and what is that doing to people? So, and I just thought about these guys who just won their dive and like, what is the next few days? Like, like you're on the high, but then what, you know what I mean? Like, this is what your focus has been. So it just makes me think about them. And then we all know the Michael Phelps and Michael Phelps, please stop advertising for better help. There's other mental health services. I think you could put your yeah. <laughs> called <laughs> out, called out, be but, sponsored but, by them. Yes. <laughs> but, uh, I wonder about that kind of elite athlete in their mental health. Totally. Well, as you were saying that just the synchronized diving, Yes. That those two people have to be so in sync. And I, I could just imagine if one person's like toe is just wrong or something mm-hmm. that had you not get resentful at your partner. And so I'm just wondering if there's even couples counseling mm. versions of like co swimmer, right. Cause you have to rely on each other and each other. Um, and I'm sure it's easy to blame other people or I wonder what their real interpersonal relationships That's are. What, like. You know, and like, do you have to kind of get enmeshed, you know, a little bit enmeshed is just like kind of over-involved with each other. I'm definitely curious about that. So I guess we'll be seeing in the forthcoming years documentaries that will be produced. But yeah, so let's talk about your experience with Scott Rowland, who's a licensed psychotherapist, and, and just talk about a little bit going into this experience of like a crisis planning session and what your thoughts were and how yeah, this into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Scott's an interesting person, right? So he's he's a psychotherapist. He's also a supervisor at a place called right. D.D. Hirsch in Los Angeles, which if I'm correct, it's an agency. So uh, yes. I want to talk a little bit about the difference between a mental health agency versus like a therapist like you and me in our pr- own private practice. We run our own business and, you know, some folks take insurance and they're on an insurance panel. But there's these places called agencies that usually they accept and they take grants from the county. So like mental health, the mental health department of County of Los Angeles or whatever. So there's so much need that they have to basically outsource. So they go to these nonprofits, the agencies like D.D. Hirsch. There's a bunch of other ones. Um, Seneca is a huge one in California. Starview, Stars Behavioral Health. So there's like these kind of big-ish agencies that take up these grants. And a lot of times they do like evidence-based practices as a way to get these grants because of course they want to make their you know their money kind of stretch in communities so it's usually these big agencies accept medicaid lower income maybe folks who don't even have health care basically anybody who's having difficulty accessing mental health care there's these big agencies that exist to uh, capture that audience to take care of folks like that so he's an interesting person right so he's coming from a very specific modality and I used to work for the county, you know, doing a county contract kind of work. And whenever a new client comes in and you meet with a therapist for the first time, kind of by contract, the therapist has to go through this, like, it's called psychosocial intake assessment, right? It's like, right. some takes like one session, it could take two sessions and what they want right, to do. Right, they're pretty long, right? They're very long and it's standardized. So it's like, what is your history with mental illness, your family history, any significant 
social, historical, traumatic events, right? Just gathering a a snapshot of exactly who you are in this moment so then they could better assign you to a therapist or maybe your assigned therapist goes through that first. And part of that standardized assessment is asking about suicidality. Right. So we thought this would be a really cool and interesting episode, um, especially for folks who've experienced suicidality in the past, ideation, maybe even an attempt, and whether or not, right, you have the right to disclose that or not. And so we kind of went down this, I, I had a session with Scott of sort of imagining us in the second session, disclosing that I've experienced suicidality, ideation, and then the how he would handle that as a therapist. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up like a lot of interesting points, a just like the difference in like a first session. So we're talking about all the different modalities, but even just like a first, if you come in for a first session with you or me, we aren't probably going to go through a stand. I mean, I know we aren't going to do a long standardized assessment. Oftentimes we're working a lot more organically. And so it can really, again, that can really be a different experience going and and doing one of these longer assessments. Sometimes it can, there can be like benefit and just feeling like, okay, like, let me, ch- oh yes. I, oh yeah, I am not sleeping. I am not eating. Like that's like helpful to hear about. Um, and then it's also like can bring up a lot of stuff and I'm sure you experience that. Yeah, definitely. And that's a good point where, I mean, when I saw my old therapist, she mm-hmm. didn't ask about suicidality. In fact, mm-hmm. I don't think she even did an assessment with me. We just jumped right. in. And I think it's every therapist's prerogative sort of in private practice to do kind of what they think is best. Maybe I did fill out a form and I I don't remember. I just don't remember her going through anything sort of detailed about my history. And I know a lot of therapists do. And I know I do sort of a semi-brief one. It takes a session. and, And I don't always ask for suicidality like history, to be quite honest. Do you? I, I have it in my intake, in my intake form. But like in if somebody says yes, that they've, had it previously or they're currently experiencing it, then yes, we definitely talk about it. But if they've checked off, no, then I don't bring it up, but I do have it in like their initial form. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. I'm thinking I probably should, as you're talking like that would be good information to gather. And that might be honestly my own like apprehensions about talking Mm. on this subject. Because as I talked about the top of the show of, you know, I've experienced suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm for a, like a, like a good chunk of my life in general, I, I would say like, you know, I'm okay now, but mm-hmm. definitely thoughts about not wanting to be alive. Yeah. Sorry. I'm probably going to be a little emotional and then yeah. that's okay. But starting in childhood and then, you know, getting kind of worse in adolescence and then college was like the, the lowest point. And it, it yeah. got, kind of, it got kind of scary. Yeah. So, so when I did this session with, with Scott, I was sort of like, okay, I'm going back in that headspace with, right. Which was nice to honestly, I felt so much better to talk about it, but also recognizing there's a lot of, there's a lot of shame, a lot of embarrassment. I also was afraid of like, what would my therapist think of me? Like, I don't want them to worry about me. That was another sort of common apprehensive sort of thought of, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to worry. Like, I'm fine. Like, I know it's just a thought. I know I wouldn't act upon it. So Mm. I'm not going to even disclose that past. So kind of like caretaking. Exactly. Yeah. And that was definitely something that came up in the session. I wondered if like maybe it would actually feel good to have somebody, especially just, you know, you know, I think one of the reasons we pick Scott to do this is he's really skilled at, at doing these assessments. And so I wonder if there's some about having like somebody like skilled to talk to, even though that's not your headspace anymore and where what you're experiencing current day, just even for that like past, like we talked about inner child work and like just for that 
past part of yourself, like to have somebody who's really like, you know, skilled at doing that to speak to. I was wondering if that felt there was something beneficial about that. Yeah. I think there's something about saying it to somebody who's just like, okay, that's a normal thing. Cause I think a lot of times when I have disclosed it, it's like, even with past therapists, they get mm-hmm. really alarmed. And I think, honestly, I think they're like uh, the legal and ethical bells That's ring. It. Like, what if she actually follows through and kills herself? Now I'm liable. And so I think when I've disclosed that before at agencies, mm-hmm. I always see that discomfort from the therapist. And then anyway, so it, it was nice actually to talk. And again, nothing bad about those therapists because every time I've been in therapy and like disclosed it, they were all trainees. So they were just like starting their therapy journey as a therapist. Yes. So yeah, of course it's going to be maybe jarring or like, you're like, oh, they didn't prepare me for this client. (laughs) So it was nice to talk through it right with someone like Scott, who's a supervisor, who's like been in the field for, for a while and like skilled in it. So yeah, honestly, and if you're a therapist listening to this, the like, it was so nice for him to be like, okay, like great. great. So we're going to, this is how we're going to deal, like talk through it. And it was just so normal that it made put me at at ease. So I'll actually jump, I could go ahead and jump in. So we were, the session we had together, we were imagining this would be quote unquote, the second session. So after I've disclosed yes to the suicide question on the like larger intake, he, we suppose this would be the second session where he would want to dive into that. And he told me, he's like, you know, if you disclose that while we were together, you know, I would differentiate, you know, any current thoughts. Do you plan on doing anything until next session? No. Okay. So we're going to dive into it next week. Uh, just letting you know. And, you know, so he, which was really cool to be like, okay, so we're going to like, we're going to dive into that. So the, yeah, the first thing I, I, my big takeaway was that he normalized it, talking about suicidality. And he said, you know, you know, folks who come in with a, usually with a diagnosis of depression or like major depressive disorder, it's very common to have suicidal ideation, right? So it's something that, you know, as clinicians, we're, we're aware of and just kind of like acknowledging that that's a thing, acknowledging that this is a tough conversation, which again, appreciated because it takes an enormous amount of vulnerability, honestly, and like yes. to disclose that to a stranger, you know? Yes, um, right. You know, again, this is the person you're meeting for the first time. Exactly. And again, like, right. And being if you're, again, somebody who is struggling with this, like, that's a question you're going to have to ask yourself. Is this, do I want to disclose this information to this mm-hmm. person? I hope you do, but I understand the hesitation, right? And if you don't feel safe yeah. at that very first session, hopefully, hopefully down the line, you know, you would get to that place. But it yes. helps to definitely have a practitioner who's coming in with, like, it's normal and it's tough. And what he did, I really like this. He iterated. He said, this is your space. He said, this is your safe space. And I want to let you know, this is confidential. So everything Mm -hmm. you say here, I'm not going to repeat it. Of course, unless you tell me you're going to hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. That's the only way I would intervene. And then he gave me permission to skip anything if I felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Again, I love this approach. And I didn't ask to skip anything because he gave me permission, honestly. Yeah. It felt very consensual. It was definitely that informed consent that we want to uphold as practitioners. So even honestly, just somebody saying this is your safe space, reminding me about the confidentiality limits and the permission for me to skip any questions if I feel uncomfortable automatically made me feel like even more at ease. Yes. Yeah. So that was really great. So that's how he formed sort of that that initial conversation about suicidality. And then he jumped in. So he said, you know, when was the first time you've experienced this? So he captured a full history of my experience with suicidal thoughts. Yes. Uh, 
So I went through each kind of moment, you know, era in my life where I've like first experienced it, kind of when I got like chronic, if I ever attempted, he asked if I actually ever attempted, which, which I have not. He asked if I was ever hospitalized. So again, just reminding folks, like these are kind of standard questions just to be aware. And then the next thing he did was really cool. So he asked me to scale. So he Mm. said, yeah, which is another great tool. It is, you know, like it seems simple, but it really helps. Yeah, exactly. So he asked me to scale from all of the different experiences I went through of like when I ever experienced suicidal ideation, like what was 10? Which one was like the very worst, Mm. the point that you got this the worst? And for me, it was college, like the lowest point, like the point where I actually got scared because I I was like, oh, I could actually follow through and it got really scary. So that was my 10. And then we kind of scaled like, what, and what would that mean? And, and then he was like, great. So whenever you're feeling like ever at a 10, mm. just let me know. Just say, hey, I'm feeling like at a nine mm. or a 10. And he said, that's just for me. So I know wow. uh, yeah. kind of when, when to intervene, kind of the severity of it. That's really helpful to start set out at the outset. You know, I'm often scaling with like levels of anxiety or levels of like intensity. But I really like that because again, like, throughout, you know, your lifetime in therapy and, you know, or as a clinician, you know, people will go through things, they'll struggle, they'll be emotional, but it's like, is this at that like kind of crisis level? And so just right at the outset setting, like, this is really where it's like, you need to like intervene versus like, cause I think this is where people get stuck. It's like someone could be crying and thrashing and like, they're not suicide. They're not in crisis. They're just having strong emotions. And so to really delineate like what the feeling is, if it's a crisis feeling or just intense emotion. Yeah, exactly. And again, that also helped me as a client to frame my experience of, okay, I know what that feels like. I I got obviously in the emotions of that feeling, that time and place, that is my 10. That's when it got the scariest. And so I could communicate that. And also there's something kind of nice of disclosing all this information kind of once and then being able maybe in like the next session, the session after be to be like, Oh, therapist Scott, I'm at an eight. So I'm getting kind of close. So he, again, it's also inviting him into my experience without, again, if I don't feel comfortable disclosing. And sometimes you don't even know in the moment, like exactly what's going on, exactly how you're feeling, but you could write rating it as a number feels very concrete. I guess when emotions could feel kind of overwhelming. Totally. Yeah. So then we went into, after we did the scaling, we jumped into the safety plan Mm -hmm. portion. And this was a throwback for me. When I was doing agency work, we did a lot of safety planning. So first he started with discussing the importance of it. Again, I love this. I just love the way that he frames everything is everything he explained that why we do it. Right. And so that just helped even like at the doctor's office, they're like, taking blood. And I'm like, why? What is it? <laughs> right. You know, you know, it's totally. And, and they almost do it like in this way of like, I know why I'm doing this and you don't need to know. Like, yeah, that can be the attitude sometimes. Exactly. So I really appreciate it. I mean, every step of the way it was informed consent uh, and explaining it very, there was very a gentleness to it, which was really nice. So he discussed the importance. He said, you know, sometimes when we're in that state of a 10, for example, or even at an eight, you know, using going back to the scaling, that it could be difficult to remember what to do in those moments and we could panic. So that's why it's important that we do a plan ahead of time when we're in a state of, you know, calm and relaxed and we could figure out what to do in those moments. That way, when you, if you ever get to that point where you're at that eight or that 10 and you don't know what to do, you could turn to your safety plan. And so 
he actually explained it to, as, as an actual piece of paper or a note card that you keep handy with you. Mm-hmm. So he said a lot of folks put it in their wallet, you know, something that you always kind of carry with you. I'm thinking now we're in the digital era. I wonder if a safety plan could just be on your, you know, an app. On your note, phone, right. The notepad app on, on your phone. But somewhere, the idea is somewhere easily accessible, accessible when you're in that moment of yes. crisis, knowing what your steps are, right? Right. So knowing exactly what to do. So the way that, and I'm sure every therapist, and I know every therapist does it differently. So even you could Google right now, safety planning, and you could come up with like a template. So, but, but his style was creating, just putting three names there, three numbers that I can call in that state. So the first number was the number that you spoke about at the top, this, the national uh, suicide prevention lifeline hotline. For the second number, he said, include me. So I want to ask him when we interview him yeah. next time of, there's got to be limits to that. Cause as a therapist, I would not want a 3 a.m. call for my client at a 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. But maybe at his agency, there is like a crisis line or maybe he is available 24 seven. I yeah. don't know. What, so, yeah. What's the boundary on that? What's the boundary on that? Yeah. So I'd be curious about that. And then for the last number, he gave me the option, like, who would you call? Like, who knows that you're going through, like, you've been through a crisis that you might need their support. Like, who would be the best person to call? So I, you know, put a name of somebody that I trust and already kind of knows my history. And he says, you know, add them and also let them know that they're part of your safety plan. Mm. Again, it's all about this consent, right? We want whoever's going to be in my my lifeline. If I'm giving them a call two in the morning, again, at a 10 or at an, at an eight, it's really important that they're aware of that yes. and, and make sure that they feel like capable and like ready to, right. to be, to be part of that part of my safety plan really. And that awareness. And then he asked me, have I ever called the the national suicide prevention hotline mm. before? Which I, I had in. So he walked me through it again. I just loved, I love knowing everything up front. Like, yes, it took the scariness away from everything. So he walked me through kind of the different questions, which I'll get into later, actually. But he also said they're going to ask for your location in case they need a call for help. So just disclosing that off the top, and I'm going to sidebar this with saying kind of where we're at in mental health is that we call the police if somebody is a danger to themselves or others. Right. And that's why there's this big movement. It's called defund police, but really what it means is to allocate those funds to different social services because I've had clients who were suicidal with a plan and their therapist called 911 and they put you in handcuffs. That's part of the process. They are, I put you in handcuffs on the phone. It's terrible. It's terrible. Of course, I'm not going to disclose this to my therapist. If I know that I'm going to be put in handcuffs, you know, we've heard about people being shot, being killed that are just going through a mental health crisis. Yeah. So someone with a gun, in my opinion, is not the right person. I don't even know what the training is and maybe they are trained, but still, right. That doesn't seem right to me. So again, we want to fund programs where somebody who's trained in mental health work, right. A social worker, a therapist as as their primary, right. As a, to intervene, let's not do the handcuffs, right? Like again, we, every circumstance is different. That should never be the first line of defense in my opinion. So again, him disclosing that at the front was very helpful. And, and then he said, so he said, they're going to go through a series of questions that he said are usually adapted from this thing called a Columbia safety scale. A lot of people, therapists use this. I remember being trained on it. It's Mm -hmm. like a one page, you could call it an assessment. It's just a series of yes or no questions. So if it's, Mm -hmm. if yes, move on to this question. If no, you could end here, right? It's basically assessing the difference between and thought 
versus the risk of you actually following through. Right. And he said, you know, sometimes just going through those questions alone relieves a lot of pressure, which was really nice. I talked again about like, I just disclosed, I was like, Scott, I just feel bad that I just disclosed my entire suit, like SI, suicidal (laughs) ideation history with you. You know, I just want to like acknowledge that I, are you okay? Kind of a thing. And he was like, thank you for thinking of me. And this is, I do this every day. And he said, you know, when we hold that stuff in, cause we don't want to be a burden mm-hmm. that creates an enormous amount of pressure. He says, sometimes right. just by talking about it relieves so much. And I remember that one again, okay. Going back to, to college with when it was like the scariest part in my life. So I called the campus, like behavioral health department. And so they, they walked me through those list of questions. They asked me to come to the, do you need someone to escort you? Or do you think you could make it to the center? I was living on campus at the time. I said, you know, I, I can make it. I got there and I had an emergency session with, with a therapist. And I remember again, I don't remember the exact questions, but I remember her walking me through just the, these yes or no questions, just talking about it. I felt so much better and I didn't need another mm. at that. T- I think I saw another therapist for a couple sessions and I was actually fine. I just talking about it. I don't think yes. I even, I don't think I've ever spoke about it with anybody else at, up to that point. So, so anyway, Scott saying that just talking about it relieves an enormous amount of pressure on its own was made sense to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So we went through this actual safety plan itself. So he said, if you were an actual client, I'd ask you to write it down and put it somewhere easily accessible. Um, I wrote it down, but I didn't, you know, I'm, I didn't need it, but I thought that was, that was really helpful, right? That's the the big chunk of the work here. And then he said, now let's get into this, the Columbia safety skill, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. And he said, this is to gauge your safety. And this will also differentiate intent versus the thought. And so mm-hmm. he went through the questions and he said, just cause you're, you've disclosed it. I just want to see where you're at now. And I might bring this scale into session uh, in the future, I, I might not kind of depending where you're at. So again, the inf- informed consent and being aware of, of these questions, it took, I want to say one minute max for him to get, go through the questions. So the, and it's just a series of yes or no questions. So he started, the first question is, do you have thoughts of not waking up or dying? And, you know, in that point I said, okay, yeah, I'll went back to like when I was suicidal. I said, yeah. Then he went to the next question. Do you wish you were dead? You know, there's other questions like, you know, do you have thoughts of killing yourself? Is there anything you've prepared? So based on those answers, he would be able to differentiate, hey, you know what? I think you're getting to the point that we're getting worried. You know, you might be at risk of actually harming yourself. And, you know, so, and again, it was really nice to go through the questions. And he said, we, you might get used to these questions and these, you might even be able to assess yourself mm. in the future when you get to right. that point of, you know, differentiating, the, are these just scary thoughts or do I actually feel like I have the intention to follow through? Right. Yeah. And then that was the chunk of it. We had a little bit of time at the end and then we discussed actual tools to build healthier habits. So that was really cool. I love actual coping skills. He talked about it of like, our automatic thoughts are kind of like our track A. And he says, that's okay, that they're going to always happen, but we need to like add a new track. And he called it track B. You know, we want to do things and add things into our routine so we could stop automatic thoughts and more quickly yeah. kind of get grounded. So what he talked about was, yeah, like the way I start my day, like making sure I start the day with something I enjoy. So he did a lot of like kind of you know, centering joy type of coping, which I loved. He talked about the importance of a gratitude list, maybe at the end of the day. So kind of ways to frame the day where I'm, and he talked about like negativity bias, you know, wanting to add those like positive track A's. Right. He said, not just to be 
all positive all the time, but just a balance. Cause right now we're right. Just, there's an imbalance and talked about with different ways to, to start a gratitude list. And that was, that was the session. That was the, the full session from start to finish. So, yeah. So what would you say your takeaway is personally? And then we can talk about what other people might get out of it. Yeah. My takeaway is if you're a client and you've experienced suicidality or suicidal thoughts, or even an attempt, or if you ever got to that point, you have all the information now, right? Like this is sort of what it might look like when yes. you talk to a therapist. So I'll leave that up to you as a, as a person to, if you want to disclose this to your therapist or not, but with the right person, I suppose it could actually go really positive. And so I, I ended up having a really positive experience uh, personally. So maybe that's something for you to feel out if you feel like the trust is there. And of course, as a client, ask your questions, right? Like who will they call? Right. If you get to that point, like, will they call the police? Which oftentimes I think we're kind of like, we not we have to i don't think we have to actually because there are different counties have like mobile crisis numbers mm-hmm. but you know when i used to work in san francisco yes some days they'd be like sorry we're booked all day and yes. we're not available or they'll come in four hours so all this to say is remembering that you could ask those questions and yes so that would be my biggest takeaway would be that that informed consent piece yeah and i think it's just important especially like post pandemic and how I remember that too, calling like the psychiatric emergency team or the pet team, you know, and they're full all day, you know, and I can't imagine it's, you know, it's probably even more so since the pandemic. So there's a lot of people dealing with this, you know, and like also just knowing for friends and family, you know, like that this is something that a lot of people are experiencing and need these resources. Again, sometimes if it's not in our face, we might not realize how much it's affecting and what's going on. So just knowing that there are like lots of ways to get help and lots of practitioners out there that can be really helpful. If you've never experienced that, you might not know what to expect. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Right. That normalizing piece is so important that it is, it is more common than we think. And so I, you know, I'm being vulnerable here, but by design, because I want folks to, you know, hear it, that it's people go through it. It's normal, you know, and, and there's, there's like peer mental health type programs where you, if you don't feel comfortable and, and I understand a lot of people just don't feel comfortable with a, a therapist, maybe they mm-hmm. have bad experiences that you can create your own safety plan, right? You could have those three numbers and, yes. and get your friends involved and let them know that you're, Hey, you're part of my, my crisis plan. Do you, do you consent to that? Do you have limits around that? Right. And, and you get to support your friends as well. So these are, there's definitely steps that you can take as well. If you don't want to go kind of down the, the traditional path. Um, to make sure that you you're talking about it and you're getting the help you need. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing Mona. I think this is going to be helpful to so many people and, and we look forward to talking to Scott to really hear more about like what goes into doing these crisis assessments. So awesome. Yay. Thanks for listening. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for joining us. Check out our show notes to learn more about this episode and to find all the ways to follow us. And remember, if you're curious, try it.